The Boulderista is a podcast that celebrates the Boulder, Colorado lifestyle by highlighting local influencers and the inspiring impact they have on our community and celebrating the local traditions that make this the happiest place to live in the U.S. I am your host, Sherry Figueroa, and I invite you to explore what makes Boulder, Boulder. Elk Run is a local farm and homestead recognized by the Colorado Permaculture Guild this past summer as the Colorado Farm of the Year. Nick DiDomenico and Marissa Pulaski turned their barren and overgrazed land into a beautiful and productive farm where they sell their meats and produce through a CSA, handcraft kombucha, grow their own apothecary, and train interns on permaculture practices. Elk Run Farm is the pilot research project for their nonprofit, Drylands Agroecology Research. The organization aims to collaborate with local government and private landowners to transform unused and degraded land into abundant food systems, targeting communities that cannot afford nutritious local food. Here to share their vision on the Boulderista podcast are Nick and Marissa from Elk Run Farm. Welcome. Thanks a lot. Yes, I'm so excited to have you guys here today. And um, I would like to start at the beginning, of just where you guys are from. I know, Nick, you're from Boulder. And Marissa, you're not. So tell me a little bit about, you know, your background and then how you met. Okay. Yeah, I come from the seashore. I come from the Atlantic Ocean, the Long Island Sound, in southeast Connecticut, in a little fishing town called Noank, Connecticut. You may have heard of Mystic Seaport, but um, yeah, I grew up with the smell of fish and children running around and just a very local, beautiful family kind of neighborhood and well we get this question a lot (laughs) Nick and I met mostly through kombucha I have a company called pure planets um, and we have a traveling elixir bar but Nick was brewing kombucha that was even better so that's really where it all began years of exchanging kombucha in the beginning he wouldn't sell me any and then months later, he maybe sold me a few bottles. And later, we started to really collaborate and build a friendship. And he was playing hard to get. Totally. <laughs> hey, we'll see. I don't know about that. <laughs> so, tell me, Nick, about how you grew up in Boulder. Yeah, I grew up in North Boulder around Wonderland Lake. And it was an awesome place to grow up. And when I was a kid, Boulder was quite a bit smaller, pretty low-key, and just had an awesome little neighborhood when we were growing up, a bunch of friends, and we would just run around all over the open space and climb up the foothills and run around the lake and just pretty much the idealistic childhood that a lot of people imagine, like Sandlot style, playing sports in the park all the time and just running around with our friends and really had an impression on me. Boulder was a really beautiful place to grow up really exciting times as a kid and carefree and uh yeah it was a good time nice and you had sort of an alternative way of education right so wilderness therapy and um, skiing tell me a little bit about that yeah I had kind of a rough patch when I was about 14 15 years old and uh, I was competing in skiing a lot I was a freestyle mogul skier and I had an injury 
tough times with my parents and I kind of lost track of myself and kind of went crazy a little bit and my parents were smart enough and thoughtful enough at the time to send me to a wilderness therapy program and that really changed my life it just helped me find myself and understand who I am and what I care about what I like to do with my time and once I left the program, it was clear that I couldn't really maintain like a traditional education. So I would take fall semesters at Boulder High and then uh, take online courses for the spring semester and just train full time in skiing and had aspirations to join the U.S. ski team and compete nationally and internationally and made a pretty good run doing that for many years. And it's just a free spiriting traveling athlete that way really dedicated to my athletics and training and all of that and you traveled to South America as well where you learned a lot of these practices that you're doing now at your farm yeah yeah right when my ski career was ending I had sort of like a existential crisis realization that individual sports were not what I wanted to do and I was practicing different spiritual practices for the first time in my life and um, I just hightailed out of the States and I heard about some friends visiting a community in South America and I just headed down there as quick as I could and left skiing and my friends and family and everything I knew in my life at that time behind and just uh, began working on a permaculture established community in uh, South America and Peru, an off-grid community and there I was exposed to permaculture for the first time and was really there to experience um, indigenous uh, ceremonies and um, practices of healing, indigenous practices of healing. And uh, there I was, I was there to work and uh, do work trade. And so I began doing a lot of farming practices with the people there and just learned about permaculture and the ideology and the practices and really struck me in a good way and continued to work, work with those practices and later on took classes and workshops and developed my skills with that. Yes. And then meanwhile, Marissa, you were dancing at Columbia, is that right? Yes, Columbia College. Tell me how you got from Columbia College to Boulder via Naropa. So I was studying dance and cultural studies in Chicago at Columbia College, and I was dancing for a few different companies at the time. My life was very different and one of the companies I was dancing for called The Leading Edge. The two directors had graduated from Naropa University. And we were in rehearsal one day and they just said to me, Marissa, you really need to check out this school. It's called Naropa University. I said, okay, I'll, I'll take a look at it. And I came to visit Colorado and visited the school once and I knew in that moment it was time to transfer and I ended up at Naropa. And, um, changed my degree to environmental studies and psychology of health and healing and that's really when when life began to blossom in a new way. Mm -hmm. Tell me how those studies impacted what you are doing now on your farm. Hmm. So within the psychology of health and healing I focused mostly on nutrition and herbal medicine so with the awareness that Naropa brings in conjunction with the science of psychology and nutrition and plant medicine, it really creates a way of life. So I believe that's what I'm bringing to the farm is this state of presence and awareness that 
one can use in relationship to earth practices. I think that's one thing that, that I really learned through my studies there. And of course, I learned a lot about what plants to use and how to make different types of medicines and how to work with people experiencing trauma or um, how to maintain stillness amidst the chaos within myself. And I think that's really the key to all earth ways, all earth practices, is how can we just simply be aware and be in observation and know how to take steps from that present state. And on top of that, I was also very into environmental justice at the time. So I really developed an understanding of how separated and segregated we are as a culture and really got to um, gain passion for understanding how to work with the land, knowing that it's such a potent resource, resource excuse me, for everyone, no matter what color you are, no matter what age you are, no matter where you come from, we all need food and we all are in relationship to earth. So that was a big part of my learning at Naropa as well as the environmental justice piece. And you're also a forest school teacher. What is that? Yeah. So, you know, we are just out in the forest and there are no structures or buildings out there. And it's a children-led program. It's I teach two and a half to six-year-olds. And a lot of what we're doing is just working with building skills for embodiment and learning how to communicate with one another and learning that it's okay to get messy and be in the mud and that when rain falls down from the sky it's a beautiful blessing and it's not something to run from. Um, another example that I really love is when kids get cold in the winter time because we have nowhere to go. <laughs> we mm. just have a fire. They'll come up to me and say, I'm so cold. It's like, okay, well, let's take your gloves off and let's warm our hands by the fire. So Really, I believe that school is reconstructing the ways that the future generation thinks in relationship to struggle, challenge, and understanding the beauty of the Earth's language. Nice. So, Nick, you found this farm and transformed it. So it wasn't a farm. It was barren land, right? Tell me a little bit about um, how you came to buy this farm and how you transformed it. Yeah. Um, you know, when I got back home from travels in South America, I was away for about two and a half, three years on and off. And when I came home, I explained a little bit about what I was learning with my parents <clears throat> and kind of telling them where I saw my life going and how I wanted to farm and work the land and what I was studying about. And my parents had a couple little rentals in Boulder and I had always helped them fix them up as a kid, learned carpentry and building to help them and landscaping and just always helped them take care of the rentals that they had. And I had a little idea begin brewing, talked to my dad, talked to my parents and said, hey, what if we tried to exchange one of these little rentals for a place with more land, maybe a place we could build more natural resource, a place where we could work as a family, work together and so my dad's a real estate agent as well. We began um, looking around, looking in the county for potential farms to, to acquire, and it was pretty hard searching. The market, even then, this was five years ago, was pretty tight. You know, properties go on the market for a day and they're sold and really competitive. And 
we looked for about a year and a half, almost two years, and uh, in the fall of 2015, around September, we came across this parcel of land uh, just north of Boulder, close to Lyons, and the place had a lot of topography, a lot of slope. Uh, nobody had ever tried to grow vegetables there, or ever have a truly productive farm there, and there was some infrastructure there that uh, signified that uh, a cattle operation had existed there some years back and the buildings were pretty worn down and um, I told my dad hey this would be an awesome project we could work on it's pretty cheap the land's pretty cheap the house it's all pretty affordable somehow we can exchange it for this small little townhouse in Boulder little uh, little ranch style house on a small lot and so uh, we decided to go into a partnership of sorts, and I started helping them uh, fix the property, fix up the buildings, clean the place up, and all with the hopes of establishing a farm. And it was a unique project because without a lot of flat land and without water rights, it was, it was, there, the potential for farming there was rather limited, at least from a conventional perspective. There was not much opportunity to grow food with what was already there but I was coming off of a lot of permaculture design courses and trainings and learning about regenerative agriculture. And I thought, what a beautiful challenge. This would be such an awesome place to practice these techniques, these earth shaping techniques, these design techniques and planning techniques to try to rejuvenate the landscape. So that's really what we began to do. Nice. So what is permaculture and why are planting trees important? And how how did you transform this land into soil that you now grow vegetables, you have fruit trees? Tell me how you did that. It sounds like magic. <laughs> yeah. I get asked that question a lot about permaculture, and it's, it's, it's a big movement now. You know, it's a movement that began years back in Australia with two... Um, academic individuals uh, curious about indigenous techniques. They were really close with, or they were learning from Aboriginal natives in Australia and were interested in the idea of a permanent agriculture. So I guess at that time, permaculture was short for permanent agriculture and then eventually a permanent culture. So really, to me, permaculture is a design science, it's a philosophy, it's an ideology uh, based on indigenous belief in a way that the Western mind can understand with principles, 12 or so guiding principles and three ethics, the three ethics being earth care, people care, and fair share that govern the entire expression of what permaculture does. And it's turned into a lot of technique-based systems, how to build gardens, how to build soil, but really in its essence, it's a design science, a practice of observing land and designing systems that function together within the patterns of nature that create abundance. And um, for the first maybe three months at the farm, winter time, I just spent the whole winter season observing, mapping the land, seeing what was there, understanding what we could do with this rather blank canvas. And once the spring hit, I started bringing on livestock to the operation, kind of with the support of some closer friends of mine, 
that were helping me and guiding me. And it was pretty new to me. I had worked on vegetable farms and I had helped people take care of land, but raising livestock was a new thing for me at that time. And so first we brought some pigs in and the livestock, it's really amazing what they do to the land. Just they're eating and foraging and digging around. Every different animal system has its own effect on the land what it creates, what their movements and motions create on the land. And so with thoughtful planning and thoughtful and tactful movement of how we use the animals, we begun to build soil. So for years, we kept pigs in one place and put a lot of organic material that they dug around and turned into the soil and eventually created what's now our uh, grain fields where we grow drylands grain crops, um, corn and sorghum and amaranth and um, the ability to produce food with very low water just through these soil building techniques and design techniques, just designing everything to function together. All the animal systems function with the vegetable systems and just shaping everything to function in harmony with nature and especially collect all the water that falls on the property. So using these regenerative agriculture techniques, we shaped the land using machinery, using hand tools, in ways that would catch and store all the water that would fall on the property. Um, the way I saw it, the way I see it, is that up until that point, the land was desertifying. It was getting more and more barren and more and more dry each year. Mm. The lower fields ha uh, were full of prairie dogs. There was no vegetation. There was no soil. It was totally dry. And so if left to its own devices in this kind of brittle climate, so to speak, that's the eco ecological terminology people use, hmm. brittle in the sense that once the vegetation goes away, the soil goes away, the ability for life kind of disappears. So the land was desertifying. And then when we got there, just by designing it, shaping it to collect water and then planting crops, planting trees and other crops where that water would be, the land is aggrading very quickly, actually, especially with the animals and all the fertility that they create, how their manure is food for plants and how that life cycle is just brought to life. They're like composting machines. So we eventually brought in sheep to rotationally graze on the hillside. Um, we have chickens uh, for uh, laying chickens that we move around the grain fields after we've harvested the crops. And so just like this rotational movement where in a season the crops come down, the animals clean up and fertilize the fields and they're prepared for the next year for planting. Um, and just planted thousands of trees. You know, everybody discouraged me from doing that. We don't have any irrigation rights. We're really lucky to have a pretty strong well on the property, which is enough to water the vegetable gardens, the forest garden, which is where we have our exotic fruit trees and this like diverse orchard system that mimics nature, where we can grow medicines and herbs and uh, vegetables all at the same time with fruit in this ecologically balanced system. And like I was saying, everybody discouraged me from planting trees because it was a big uh, financial investment, a big investment for the machinery to do the on-contour swales is what we call them, these um, contour depressions that collect and store water as it moves down the slope. And so through those practices, the idea of the nonprofit was born, uh, experimenting and researching drylands plantings and being able to agrade, make the land better quickly through these techniques and these practices based 
completely in design, very thoughtfully designed and planned. And then using these unique techniques that we developed through the nonprofit, planting trees that don't need to be watered, that get watered passively from the land, uh, from the earthworks that we built with machines. And through that, I've established around 1,200 trees on the about nine acres that we're actively farming in that sort of way. And uh, with the idea that those trees will hold the moisture, they're going to stink carbon into the soil, they just uh, create this three-dimensional ecosystem that collects life. The shape of it, the pattern of it, just continuously stores more and more life-giving resources like water and soil. And so at the same time, strategically moving our animals through those systems and strategically tending things, uh, we're watching the land increase in vitality and rejuvenate really quickly. I love that you're using um, this as a case study, essentially. Tell me about your vision for it. My desire is to build a bridge and that is between the underprivileged and the privileged and to understand how we can support those who are in need of developing a deeper connection to earth and just to raise awareness that everyone has a right to work with the earth. And the vision right now is to understand what parts of the world, what parts on earth are asking for support in relationship to building community through restoring land, restoring culture through restoring land, finding our gentleness through working with the waters, understanding that we are at risk right now um, in relationship to water. And so how can we develop designs and practices even in just our homesteads with our families to understand ways in which we can save water and simultaneously regenerate the land as a way of serving humanity. Yeah, drylands agroecology has three main sectors. Uh, There's the design and implementation sector, which through that we intend to develop steward partnerships with other landowners, people with degraded land, maybe people moving to a farm or a new place that want to rejuvenate their land, that want to partner in a project to regenerate the land and also research it, take data, be able to document and describe how these regenerative practices are working. And to us, it's pretty obvious that they're working and we just need that scientific backing, that data, that observation to display and show just how potent these techniques can be, especially in our region. I mean, people are doing other things like this in the country. Other big farms are doing this too. And our region is unique in that way in the amount of rainfall that we get and the kind of plants that we have. And so helping other people implement regenerative systems like ours, that's one sector of the nonprofit. The other sector then is the research that comes from that implementation and design of other land projects. And then beyond that uh, is the education and community outreach sector, the nonprofit, to share in what we're doing with other people, to offer classes and workshops, um, assisting other people in learning these techniques, learning these practices, and learning directly from the land. That's how we've always imagined the project, is that we're studying directly with the land. 
The land is teaching us how it wants to be taken care of, how it wants to be managed with this background in the patterns of nature, with this background in ecology and the way that ecological systems function and what's needed in those systems to really create abundance. Because in healthy land, there's much more opportunity for healthy humans. It's, we're, that's what we've discovered is that we're inherently connected to the land. Obviously, it sounds obvious, but that's the experience of it is that our health is based on the health of the land. And the health of the land is based on our health as well, our physical capacity, our mental, emotional, spiritual capacities to be able to tend it, to organize things, to organize people, to manage what's happening. So it's this whole holistic approach to it that inevitably becomes a demonstration. That's what we want to do is share what we're doing. We want to be models for what a regenerative lifestyle looks like, where the pilot project Elk Run, our farm and our homestead, where we're cultivating about 90% of the calories that we take in. And so in any one season, have between three and five people in that same way eating directly off the land. We want to be role models for what this can look like. What does regenerative culture look like? What is coming? How can we live in harmony with each other, with ourselves, and with the land? What does that look like? And so the nonprofit intends to share that information, allow others to learn from our site and the other sites that we enter in partnership with as we continue on with these projects. And as we all learn and grow together, what that means for humanity and how we intend to take care of land, how land can be regenerated, how we can help one another to steward land in a way that's truly responsible. That's the way we see it beyond farming. Farming is kind of the byproduct. The food is kind of the byproduct of what we're doing. We're really creating ecologically resilient systems. And through that, taking care of ourselves at the same time. It's so thoughtfully said and so timely, you know, when mm. things are, there's so much uncertainty going on around us. It seems like um, now is the time to empower people and to educate them to be able to feed themselves and feed the land. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Elk Run Farm and how the community can interact with you. So at this point in time, we are offering many different types of gatherings at Elk Run Farm, some of which are very simple and some of which are education-based or celebration based. Right now we have a cedar sauna which Nick and his brother built and we're working with Community Roots in collaboration with them to hold space for postpartum mamas to heal their wombs and experience heat and different types of herbal medicine to rejuvenate their process in postpartum because it's not easy to be um, a mama. <laughs> And we also are holding workshops and classes throughout the spring and summer season. My company, Pure Planets, will be doing plant walks bi-weekly. And we'll be doing plant walks in Lyons and Denver and Boulder, all over. But I hope to do bi-weekly plant walks at Elk Run Farm. And that means just touring through the forest gardens and then within the back area, around through the animals, just really getting to know how plant life exists in many different ecosystems. 
We also are holding a CSA for both kombucha and vegetables. So that'll be about five families per week CSA. And we will be working with women's circles. So my dream is to create a circle for teenage girls who are beginning to understand what it means to be in relationship to their cycle and their bodies and thus in relationship to the earth. So creating spaces for women, specifically young women, to come together and learn about what it means to be in their body. Nice. We also have a CSA for our meat, so mostly pork and lamb. And all of this information can be accessed via Facebook and through drylandsagroecology.org. We are always posting on Facebook updates about where we're at. You know, sometimes we just have a lot of zucchinis or sometimes we have an abundance of tomatoes. So it's like, yes, we have CSAs weekly, but if we have extra resources, we'll be posting about that. Um, We also do a lot of farm-to-table dinners that are very casual, so we'll be posting about those as well, and that just involves having fun, fresh elixirs, using medicine from the land that's present at that moment in time, and then allowing the food that's abundant on the farm to be cooked and shared with the community. We have a carbon sequestration celebration, so we will be holding a lot of gatherings for people to come and help us to plant trees, and then in gratitude for that, we give back in food and fire and song and music and play. We have an Elk Run Facebook page, and that's simply Elk Run Farm. Drylandsagroecologyresearch.org is the website for Drylands Agroecology, and within that, you'll find Elk Run Farm. For Instagram, it's at Elk Run. And you can subscribe to be on the email list for Drylands Agroecology Research and Elk Run Farm at the drylandsagroecology.org website. Okay, so coming full circle, Nat Geo named Boulder, and we'll say Boulder County in this instance, the happiest place in America in 2017. How is this true for both of you? Why do you live here? Wow, (laughs) that's quite the question. You know, I was told this story uh, not by indigenous people, but there's a little folklore tale of Boulder County. I guess there was a, an Arapaho chief that was here. Right as the Western settlers were coming around, they called him Chief Niwo or Niwot. That's the story that I heard, and he put some kind of curse over this area. Once you've seen the sights of these mountains and the beauty of this valley that you'll never be able to leave, or if you do, you'll always come back. That's the story I was told. Somehow I'm living proof of that. Tried many times to blaze a new trail and made roots and developed community in different places all over the world and always seem to be drawn back to this place. And there's something really powerful about the sight of these mountains and the way the land is and the the elk and deer that roam here and the way that the place is, it just cultivates a beautiful, inspiring feeling in me. And I know that that's shared amongst many people in the community and always found a lot of really beautiful, kind, loving people in the community of Boulder, around town, and just really awesome circles where people gather, places 
things to do and just a lot of good, exciting things happening in this area that are positive in the cultural sense. How about you, Marissa? I have tried to leave Boulder for about seven or eight years until last year because I just kept coming back. And it's the healthy living. I really feel as though my mind and my body and my spirit are so nourished here. The access to the movement classes, rock climbing, hiking, yoga, breath work, healthy food, farm to table dinners, restaurants that care about resourcing food that comes from people right down the street, that all really matters to me. And with that, I feel so taken care of here. I feel like I can truly dream and vision and share because my needs are met and I appreciate the intellect of the Boulder community and how honest we are and how there is this new age woo-woo way that we may be labeled as, but at the same time we're practicing conscious and honest communication and I think that is such a blessing and is not happening in many parts of the world. There's also a lot of land-based practice being worked with here and I just really value all that we're aspiring to be in the way that we're walking our talk. You certainly are walking your talk. <laughs> so thank you so much for this inspiring education on permaculture practices and the important work that you're doing to create abundant and self-sustaining food systems that can bridge the gap between underprivileged and those who need access to healthier food. And I just greatly appreciate your devotion to the stewardship of this land and your commitment to empowering people to grow their own food and use these simple practices. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boulderista podcast. For more info on today's episode, to nominate an influencer to be on the show, or to connect with me for your Boulder real estate needs, please visit us at www.theboulderista.com and on Facebook and Instagram at The Boulderista. While you're there, don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. Until next time, stay happy, Boulder!